Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Costa Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melissa. I am here with Carrie Alavelt. And we're so, so hyped because we won an election that nobody thought we would win, except Carrie <laughs> and me and Simon Rosenberg and Joe Trippi and a handful of other people. We were out in that limb and we weren't even on a limb. We but it made, everybody else made us feel like we were on. Oh, God. When you, you know what? When you're swimming upstream against everyone, there are de- definitely days where you're like, Jesus, I hope I'm right. <laughs> I mean, even, even, though if you, even though you feel like you're following the facts and you're staying true to what you, you believe, you know, you just like going against everyone is still sort of can get in your head. Yeah. I mean, we sat there for the last year of this podcast and writing on Daily Coast talking about how the dynamics of the midterm 2022 elections were not going to be a typical midterm election. It was not going to be a referendum on Joe Biden. It wasn't even going to be about the economy. It was going to be about Roe v. Wade, and it was going to be about Donald Trump, and by extension, democracy, since Donald Trump and our the danger of our democracy are synonymous at this point. And we looked at the data and we looked at election results and we looked at the numbers and everything backed us up. Yet you're thinking, what if, like, what are we missing that everybody else seems to be so sure about? And there's been years where we've been wrong. Like I thought Hillary Clinton was going to beat Donald Trump and it wasn't even going to be that close. So there's that, like, is this one of those years where you're so sure of yourself? But we looked at all the data and all the numbers and all the all the history and, and the election results, special election results. And we had a solid case. And so what was even perhaps more likely to be the, you know, the, the worst case scenario wasn't that we'd be wrong, is that they would be right for the wrong reasons. Like, they, oh, yeah. they you know, oh, it's because of gas prices or it's because of this. And what if our people didn't turn out? Then it would maybe not have been about gas prices. Maybe it would right. have been about something completely different. It might have been youth, youth voters turned out. That was not a given. And so maybe youth vote doesn't turn out and we lose those close elections. And instead of having these narrow uh, wins across the board that helped us keep the Senate and minimize losses in the House, maybe it would have been enough to create that wave election. And all you're talking about is shifting, you know, maybe one or two points. So there was a lot that could have gone wrong. And then they would have pointed at us and laughed and said how wrong we were. And underlying the underlying dynamics of the race were not wrong. This was not an election about Joe Biden. This was not an election about um, about inflation or about gas prices. And uh, and Donald Trump was really a factor in this race. So we were right about those underlying trends. And luckily for us, the election turned out how it did. And so just to give a recap of where we are as we record this, this um, podcast is that the Democrats have 50 seats in the Senate. Republicans have 49. And we have an outstanding runoff in Georgia, which I'm feeling pretty good about. I'm thinking we're going to win that runoff in, uh, in two weeks. So and let's just let's just say the, the, the reason that we have a better chance now is that, number one, the, the, the Senate majority doesn't depend on that race. So it's easier for, you know, Republicans who might be a little demoralized by what happened, who aren't particularly thrilled about this, you know, to- words, Mr. Word Salad himself, violent tendencies, you know, alleged spousal abuser, deadbeat dad, Herschel Walker, right? There's, he's not exciting for a lot of people who a lot of Republicans and they're just much less likely to turn out just because tribalism, as long as the Senate majority isn't on the line and it's not, whereas 
our voters are hyped up. They're excited. Um, you know, especially um, black voters who made history in 2018. I don't think they want, you know, Raphael Warnock to lose that reelection to the post to six years. So there's a lot of reasons to think that Democrats, even in Georgia, which, you know, traditionally has been a very Republican state for a long time, have a potentially an upper hand now uh, in that runoff election on December 6th. Yeah. And, what, and just another reason, again, there's lots of them, but another reason is that Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, proved to be pretty popular. He inoculated himself against Donald Trump because Donald Trump went after him in the primary and rhetorically. And so he so it was really hard for Democrats to say he's a Trump Republican. And when given the chance to try and steal the election in 2020, he refused. Raffensperger, who won the secretary of state for re-election, they all refused to play along. So it was really hard for us to argue they were a threat to democracy because they were actually more like old line Republicans. And we may disagree on taxes and on immigrants and stuff, but at least they're not anti-democracy. And so uh, they were rewarded by that with those suburban Atlanta college educated white voters, uh, while a lot of them bled support for uh or Republican ticket in the Senate. So for Herschel Walker and those people may or may not turn out, but there, there's a lot of Republicans that voted Republican at the top of the ticket and just voted Republican all the way down. And they may have wanted to come out for Brian Kemp. They're not probably as motivated to come out for Herschel Walker. So I'm again, I'm feeling really, really good about that. Anything else you got there or should we move on to the house? No, no, I think that's good. I just wanted to make that clear. So in the house right now, it looks like it's going to be 222 to 118 Republicans, about a four seat Republican majority. And yeah, we wanted to keep the House. It was always an uphill battle. We always talked about how it was an uphill battle. But the projections were that Republicans were going to win in this wave election. They were going to get 20 to 40 seats, right? You know, some Republicans right before the election were talking about their uh, tsunami, Carrie. There was a red tsunami coming and they were going to win 50 seats. It was going to be like back in the Bridge, uh, 50 country. is an undercount, according to uh, Kevin McCarthy. He was like, oh, you know, they won the Democrats won 65 seats or whatever in 2018. And, you know, we could go we could be higher than that. We could be 70. We could be. <laughs> so they only have a four seat majority. So I think that's a that's a net swing of about eight seats. And that is all all those seats that they picked up were because of redistricting. So it was all of the redistricting shenanigans that allowed them to pick up the necessary seats. And there was a massive underperformance of Democrats in New York, which is a different story for a different day. I feel, Carrie, just looking ahead really quick, I feel really good about 2024 with presidential year turnout in California and in New York. Uh, A lot of these moderate districts, Biden district Republicans. I don't see how they survive unless maybe they can switch parties right now. So, but let's talk a little bit about this, this four seat majority because the Freedom Caucus led by Jim Jordan and uh, Andy Biggs of Arizona had, had basically said that Kevin McCarthy does not have the votes to be speaker. Shocking, right? We all thought, you know, he was going to, everyone's going to get behind Kevin McCarthy. Not, no one thought that. No one, I mean, especially look, Kevin McCarthy was out there. He, he, he violated like the number one rule rule of business, which applies many other places, including politics. You don't over promise and under deliver. And, you know, he just couldn't help himself. He couldn't help. He had to brag about how it was going to be a red wave or red tsunami. And he wasn't just talking. He wasn't just moderately saying, look, I think we're going to gain double digit seats 
could be as high as, you know, 30 or something more, but, you know, could be lower. You know, like he wasn't doing that. He wasn't playing the game of let's not let's not make sure that we tell people it's going to be this and then we end up hitting below. He should have been minimizing how many he really thought they were going to get. Instead, he was maximizing, like going way above what they really thought. So they under his leadership, they terribly underdelivered for the GOP conference. And it is now a nightmare scenario for him. And let's just remember, Nancy Pelosi, when she was leader of a caucus just this past two years that had a, essentially a five-seat majority, managed to get a whole bunch of really significant legislation through historic uh, investments in um, in, you know, climate change, uh, battling climate change, um, you know, the chip investment where there's going to be a lot more microchips and stuff manufactured here in the United States rather than China. Um, there's, you know, and she got codifying row through, of course, we couldn't get it through the Senate. She got a voting rights piece of legislation through. We couldn't get it through the Senate. Um, but the number of things that she got through the American rescue plan, um, that she got through and did get through the Senate, the number of things she managed to get through with five seats, you're going to see basically essentially the same majority for house Republicans right now. And I don't even think they're going to be able to decide on a speaker. This actually creates a real sort of question is somebody has to be speaker. And you have in New York, as mentioned, there's a there's a uh, a bunch of Republicans in New York and in uh, California. And there's actually one in, in Michigan that that represent Biden districts that somehow squeak through because of various dynamics. The New York Democratic Party was self-destructing. These are seats that are definitely in the in the you know our top pickup opportunities in 2024 but what do those republicans do right now they don't want and some of them have already spoken up they don't want to be talking about hunter biden's laptop and when republicans the house republicans had their first press conference after it was confirmed they would have the majority they didn't talk about inflation they did not talk about gas prices they talked about I'm not, i wish i was exaggerating they were they talked about hunter biden's laptop so you have these inevitably moderate Republicans in very tough districts. They're basically rentals at this point. They, they're not going to hold those districts. <laughs> they're and they're going like, I have zero, I have maybe five, 10% chance to survive. I have 0% chance to survive if we're going to spend the next two years talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. Which, and which they are, which they are. I mean, and that's not even an if, right? It, it, that, yeah. is a, that is happening. So they may be saying if to themselves, but that that train has already left the station. So there is a real possibility. And I know it's been it's been reported that they're talking. There's a real possibility that Democrats can actually join with some of these moderate Republicans to elect one of them, one of these moderate Republicans as speaker. And, and the name that's been thrown out is is uh, Congressman Bacon from that Nebraska second congressional district, which is a Biden Biden district and he he's Teflon. He seems to survive every year, barely, barely survives in a very tough district. And uh, although it was it was redrawn this year and he got a couple extra red points in it and that's what saved him. So, again, another example where even minor shifts in the in the maps can can save a seat for them. Sure. But there's there's talk about maybe having one of those guys. That's what's happened in Alaska. So this sure. is not even unprecedented in Alaska, you've had Democrats team up with moderate Republicans in both the state Senate and the state house 
to elect moderate Republicans to run those chambers in a in a weird uh, power sharing agreement that actually, honestly, is is working, like actually seems to be a very effective way to govern if what we care about is less about the partisanship and more about getting stuff done. Sure. And so this is an actual real possibility and and so i i suspect when and, you know push comes to, to shove clear just to be clear if it if they may if we manage to do something like that right Re- democrats joining with these like handful of moderate republicans to elect a speaker they are going to be more beholden to the democratic caucus than they are the republican caucus so if in your head you're like well i don't care which republican ru- you know runs the caucus they're going to do like all these really conservative things. They won't be able to do that. Probably it depends Hunter on the Biden's rules. laptop. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if nothing else, if yeah, nothing right. else, <laughs> right? I mean, they 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 will not be able if 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 they owe their speakership, and it depends on the rules how they can be removed or not removed or whatever. But if they owe their speakership to to Democrats. They're gonna ha- they're gonna have to absolutely moderate what they do, a- absolutely. I mean, but it's gonna it, it, it is gonna be a cat fight. It doesn't matter whether it's Kevin McCarthy or Jim Jordan or this more you know a, a more um, conservative, moderate, rep- sort of old school Republican. Um, it the 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 GOP caucus it, the infighting there is going to be spec. So <laughs> already yes. is it's amazing, yeah. and, uh, and and to be clear, if I had to guess, if you ask me right now, what do I think is going to happen? I think what's going to happen is that those Jim Jordans they're going to realize that the alternative to them backing McCarthy is going to be a moderate Republican uh, elected with Democratic votes, and so they'll do what a lot of moderate conservative Democrats did with Pelosi; they just sh- forgot to show up the day of the election. And so they, they didn't have to cast a vote against her or for her. They just kind of like, oops, uh, was it today? Was the election today? And so that way they don't have to vote for McCarthy so they can maintain their purity. But but um, McCarthy still is is the speaker. So I suspect that's what's going to happen in the end of the day. But I don't these people are nihilists like they don't care. So I, what's well, logical remember- and rational yeah. to me and you and our listeners it may right. not be what they do. And that's a fair point, because if you remember that they already went through a, a dress rehearsal for this back in, what, 2017, when Trump was first uh, elected, um, they, you know, Kevin McCarthy was supposed to be the heir apparent there. He was supposed to be the speaker and he couldn't assemble the votes. And they were they the whole caucus sort of went into spiral downward and then they all came up with Paul Ryan as an alternative that both the, you know, f- crazy Freedom right. Caucus and the more moderates could could come together on. And they ended up electing him speaker instead of McCarthy. And, you know, and, and McCarthy, I'm sure, has been smarting over that ever since. You know, he, he's he's so desperate to be speaker. He would promise anything <clears throat> to be one. But he but with this slim majority, he may still not be able to get it done. I mean, it is possible. You know, Matt Gates is out there, this uh, Republican from Florida, right, um, who has a few other things going on in terms of federal investigations into his, you know, it, sec- into his like human trafficking issues. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. whoo, what is going on there? But anyway, um, he is, uh, you know, he's already promising that he has the, I think, five votes or whatever is necessary to scuttle um, McCarthy becoming. <clears throat> so 
So you don't, I mean, it seems like that would be the logical thing is they would conclude, oh, well, if we don't go with McCarthy, then we could end up with something worse or whatever. But you don't know with these people. You Honestly, they are like, that's what makes them so dangerous is how unpredictable and, and how nihilistic they are. So we have no idea what kind of ride we're on. I just know that for Republicans, it's not going to be a good one. That's for sure. Yeah. And there's, there's a non-zero chance that some of those at-risk Republicans may just switch parties. They Th may see true. how this is, if they, if, if self-preservation kicks in, um, most of those, you know, I'm just scanning through. Most of those are not the, the, you know, they're not the stop the steal, big lie type of Republicans. I mean, they were actually pretty decent Republicans for the districts. And so they're not, um, they're Republicans, but they're not, they're not Trump Republicans. So there, there's, there's a, again, I would put the chances of that happening like five to 10%, right? But it's, it's in play because it's such a shit show in the house right now that, that, that chaos may actually move things in ways that we're not quite, that are not really expected, although we're talking about it. So maybe it's a little expected, but it's within the realm of possibility. So it's, it's dramatic. And Carrie, I would argue, and uh, you, you, you tell me if you agree or not. I would argue that a Republican held house with this like four or five seat majority once all the seat, you know, all the, you know, districts are counted. So we might see a plus one minus one margin of error on the final margin, but I would argue that it actually helps Democrats because oh. they got most of their legislation through the signature legislation. So Biden already has material to run on. The Senate is in Democratic hands. So we get our judges in so that the House has nothing to do with judges. And so the House really, it would have been great because we could have kept, you know, the, the January 6th commission could have been, you know, cranking through without any deadlines, you know, ending the commission and uh, digging deeper and deeper. But in all, Incumbent presidents generally get reelected because they run against the obstructionist House or Senate of the other party. Because traditionally, as we've talked a million times, the party out of power usually wins control of Congress in that midterm election. And then they're, they're a foil. And um, so if you have unified democratic governance, then it's, it's anything that voters were pissed off about, kind of hard to blame uh, Republicans for it. I mean, of course, filibuster this and that, right? But it, from a political standpoint, it's hard to blame Republicans when people go, you're in a majority. Now you got the House to run against. And this House is so nuts that they're going to be doing Hunter Biden laptops. So they're going to be like, you know, we can run against the House that cares more about Hunter Biden's laptop than inflation. Like you turn that around on them. If you care yeah. so much about inflation, if you care so much about gas prices, why are you talking about Hunter Biden's laptop? So I think this is good for Biden. It's good for Democrats. Um, it helps us keep the Senate in a very difficult map in 2024. It's, it's a brutal, brutal map. And uh, we got to defend places like Montana and, and, uh, and Sherrod Brown in Ohio. And our only pickup opportunities are like Florida and Texas. I mean, it's not looking great. So our best case scenario really is just to hold our ground and maybe not lose. Or you know, if we have 51 seats, we can then um, we can lose two seats at that point sure. and get back down to 50 50 Senate. But um, I, it's it's 
I've, you know, having a McCarthy, having a Freedom Caucus run house actually really, really improves our chances in 2024. That's my theory. I don't know. What, I don't know how you feel. Oh, about no, that. I 100 percent agree with you. Listen, I wanted to keep the house. Right. I, I wanted to do that because we could have gotten some things through if we'd kept both the House and the Senate that we weren't able to get through if we got a little bit more leverage in the um, in the Senate. And we might end up getting one seat more leverage, which actually would have been helpful because then you don't have to get both Kirsten Cinema and, and Joe Manchin. You just have yeah. to get one of them. And you can negotiate with one of them. Negotiating with both of them is a lot harder because they have mm -hmm. different interests in the end. So, you know, we might have been able to get some more through. We might have been able to get a voting rights package through, you know, Slim. But anyway, we might have been, you know, there's some things that we might have been able to do. Um, we probably might have been able to cod codify Roe. Um, there might have been just enough Republican support mm -hmm. for that. Um, so anyway, but we didn't get it. And if we didn't keep both chambers, the, the other goal, which was a major goal, I always felt like from the beginning, which was to do so well that we completely demoralized Republicans and they went into a, you know, a nosedive. They just started spiraling out. And that's what we did. Democrats, Democratic voters, Democratic act activists and organizers and young people and, you know, suburban women and everybody who came out for this coalition, of course, which is people of color, young voters of color, especially all of these, um, all of these things, all of these people came together and delivered such an electoral blow that even though Republicans managed to take the House by a very slim majority, they're now, you know, it's now a disaster for them. I mean, not only does it have implications, which we've just talked about at length for the House, but but McConnell now has a leadership challenge in the Senate, right, with uh, Senator Rick Scott. I wouldn't be surprised if Rick Scott makes another chance at it, uh, takes another try. Um, but, you know, his McConnell does not have a great hold on that caucus now. And in many ways, Rick Scott hobbled them more than he helped them. But Rick Scott is pointing at Mitch McConnell and saying, look, it's your it's your you know, you're the leader of this caucus. And we lost we we may have lost seats like we didn't gain seats. We didn't we didn't take overtake the. And you have to remember, Rick Scott was chair of the GOP committee that was tasked with. Um, you know, the overturning Senate. the majority. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't none of this makes any sense. Right. I mean, Rick Scott, Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, Republican senator, he he's the one who put out this 11 point plan where he was going to raise taxes on working and middle class Americans. He was going to sunset Social Security and Medicare. Um, he was, you know, all of these things that he also he it fiscally totally uh, kneecapped the NRSC, the committee, and they had to cancel millions, tens of millions of dollars in advertising at the last second. You know, he, he like ran that effort to uh, flip the Senate into the ground, but it doesn't matter. He's, he and Donald Trump are going to blame Mitch McConnell and, um, and he's already, you know, Rick Scott's already making a bid to try and get people like Ted Cruz, sort of the Trump wing of the Senate caucus to oppose McConnell. Now he might fail, but I just, it's really clear now that Mitch McConnell does not have what I would call a firm grip on that caucus because if he did, he wouldn't have any challenge at all. Okay. That's the first thing. But then you think about 
the other repercussion this has had, how, how well Democrats have done, is that Donald Trump thought he was going to just ride all of his triumphs into a glorious, you know, I'm running for president again, again in 2024. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he thought that he was going to be able to ride his victories into a presidential bid that would then stop out all of his um, his opposition. And and that is not what has happened. He is at one of his weakest, most precarious points ever. And I just want to be clear. It's not that Republican voters don't like Trumpism. They do like Trumpism, but they like to win. So they they like the brash, you know, in your face, own the libs kind Cruel. of vibe. Cruelty. 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 Right. The, the cruelty is the point, right? They like yeah. that. Those those MAGA Republicans, but they want to win. And so they would much rather have DeSantis run. You know, they would much rather have a fresh face who's going to be just as cruel and horrible as Trump is, but can be a winner. And now Trump is a three time loser. He lost for them in 2018 by historic margins. He lost the White House in 2020, gifted the Senate to, to Democrats. And now he he presided over, you know, most of those most of those um, those major candidates who lost at the top of the ticket were his picks. And he's now presided over a total disaster in, in 2022. And so he's a three-time loser. And, you know, just, um, it was, uh, let's see. Yeah, no, um, the economist and YouGov did a, um, poll just before the election where they asked Republicans how many of them wanted Trump to run in 2024. And 60% of them said yes, just before the election. And then after the election, they asked again, and only 47% of Republicans said, yes, we want him to run. Now, I'm not saying Trump can't recover. I'm not saying he's dead in the water. He could recover because he's been, you know, he's proven to be, he's proven to be that, you know, um, sort of resilient, partly because Republicans are a bunch, are so spineless. The only Republican who seems to have any spine at all is, is uh, Liz Cheney and she's been drummed out of the party. (laughs) So. Right. So, I mean, she did what Mitch McConnell wouldn't, which is say the election wasn't stolen. Donald Trump is responsible for this. And we cannot have election deniers winning up and down the ticket. Republicans should vote against them. Independents should vote against them. Democrats, you know, everybody should vote against them. McConnell doesn't have that type of backbone. He didn't have the the backbone to go out and get the 17 Mm -hmm. votes he needed to impeach Donald Trump after January 6th and and Donald Trump had threatened their lives. He didn't have that kind of backbone. But in any case, I I digress. So, um, So now, you know, the other effect here is you've got the House in disarray, House Republicans in disarray, Senate Republicans in disarray, and you've got Trump's bid now, not is sort of anything but a sure thing. I mean, he, so, he probably is going to attract challengers. Yeah. Yeah, Carrie, I, we, we're definitely going to talk about Donald Trump. I just want to sort of recap what you talked about because there was a lot of good stuff in there. So um, the hope was that in addition to, to surviving the election and not having these historic governing party losses, is that if we were able to stop them, that it would it would sort of collapse the Republican Party into self-recrimination. And that's exactly what has happened. So we have, like Harry said, we have those leadership battles and faction battles in the House. And I still don't think, I'm really curious what these new moderates from New York and California are going to do, because I think we may be seeing a three-front war uh, developing in the House. The Senate is, is, is utterly 
you know, racked by by infighting. Uh, Rick Scott literally said, you know, he was pouting the other day that people are mad at him because you because you ran against Mitch McConnell for the for the leadership post. And that that's because the elites won't want me. This guy ran the National Republican Senate Committee, like the, the elites. And and uh, and by the way, Ron DeSantis, we should start calling him Jeb Bush 2.0 because he may he may very well be the next Florida governor savior that that fizzles out. But um, and then obviously, so Congress is, is, is a mess. And in that is all of conservative media. They're all fighting with each other over over uh, should they have had uh, masters in, in Arizona as their Senate candidate or Oz in Pennsylvania or um, or uh, I mean, keep in mind, we talked about the victories. I forgot to mention, Kerry, we won the governorships and secretary of state offices in what, six of the seven battleground states. The only one we didn't was Nevada and the Republican who narrowly won in Nevada the governor's race is not an election denier. So, but we won the secretary of state office there. So Arizona, um, Michigan, it wasn't even close in Michigan. Republicans were utterly wiped out. We even took control of the state legislatures in, in Michigan, Pennsylvania. We took control of the state house. That was unexpected. Nobody, nobody thought that was in play. We won the state house in, uh, in Wisconsin. We kept the governorship. So these are critical, and in, in Georgia we didn't, but as we talked about, they were not election deniers. So everywhere that election deniers ran, we beat them. That, that, is, that is incredibly important. And so some may argue that this was almost Biden's plan, right? He kept talking about MAGA Republicans. They're different than other Republicans. So he created this ability in voters to sort of bifurcate between the Trump Republicans and the non-Republicans. And a lot of those argued that, that was, you know, that wasn't helpful because they're all Republican. Who knows? Like, I'm not going to sit there and second guess it right now because it, it, we at least did not get these election denying anti-democracy Republicans winning in any, in any battleground state. That is huge going into 2024. So in all that, obviously, recrimination, the conservative media is eating each other alive. Everybody's fighting. Everybody hates each other. Uh, and Coulter was was calling for Donald Trump's head. I mean, uh, they're all like on, you know, they're all just all beaten up on each other. It's, it's glorious. I mean, it's it's so much fun. <laughs> now we have the presidential race, right? And so clearly the big two battle lines are, are, are Trump and DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Mike Pompeo, who was a former secretary of state, he thinks he's running. We can all laugh, point at him and laugh. Uh, who else? Nikki Haley thinks she's running. We can point and laugh. Uh, who else thinks he's running? Mike Pence. Uh, Mike Pence thinks Mike he's Pence. Running. I mean, <laughs> no one likes Mike Pence. I mean, Nobody no one. Likes Mike Pence. So really, it's it's Trump versus DeSantis, and it's because they're the they're the, the Republican Party is the MAGA party, and both of those are from the same wing. The only difference sure. is, do you want the OG Trump or the one that maybe has a better chance of winning? Like that's the battle line at this point. And and Carrie, we you you wrote a piece about like. They talk about it like what happened, like what is worse for the Republican Party? Does Trump win the nomination or does he lose the nomination? Well, <laughs> that, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, here, here's the here's the problem for the Republican Party. There's I mean, I don't want look, I don't want to underplay Trump. He is a threat to the country. OK, and if he's on the ticket, he's a threat to the country. But any anybody who's within that MAGA wing who's Trump or Trump light doesn't matter. They're a threat to the country, too. But 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 the Republicans sort of worst nightmare is 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 either Trump 
winning the nomination or losing it, right? <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which. Because if he wins the nomination, you know, anti-MAGA majorities, anti-Trump majorities have now turned out in three elections to deliver a wake up call to the Republicans that they just can't seem to like pick up. They're just not getting, you know, they're not getting it. Um, so I mean, if to- we won, if we won this midterm election, they're in trouble in 2024. They are in serious trouble if Trump is yeah. leading up that ticket right now. So, so that's a real problem for them. I mean, I, I told you that 47% of people he's down to where 47% of people want him only 47% of Republicans, this is Republicans, want him to run in that poll. But that's still probably just strong enough for him to win. He, if he takes on one or two other people and they split the vote in any way, his loyalists are so loyal that he's probably strong enough to still win the primary. That's Republican, set, so, and, and for context, yeah. Republican primaries, the states are winner take all. In a yeah. Democratic primary, the votes are apportioned, the delegates are apportioned proportionate to the vote that the candidates get. So, you know, if you win narrowly, Ohio, you know, you get like five delegates versus four delegates to the second place, you know, just making up numbers. But it's proportionate. For Republicans, the winner gets everything. So you can win with like 30% of the vote, you get all the delegates, which is exactly how Trump won a nomination in 2016. Right. So so there is that. But then there is the possibility, the slim possibility that somehow Trump doesn't win the primary. He doesn't win the nomination. And if that happens, you can be guaranteed that Trump will do everything in his power to ruin, to kneecap, destroy that nominee because he doesn't care. I mean, some Republicans are like, well, he, I mean, Paul Ryan in, in particular, the former house speaker, right? I mean, he just is so such a lack of imagination. He was like, oh, well, Trump would never kneecap the Republican nominee because he, because that would <laughs> yep, mean that they already did. <laughs> yeah, right. That, 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 that would mean that they were gifting that he was gifting the, the country to the left. Right. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what he said to the, he's going to be a gift of the, to the left, the country. Right. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. He Trump doesn't care if he turns the you know country over to the Democrats. What he cares about is making sure that a Republican Party that has finally cut him loose, if it manages to do that, will never be successful. Right? His whole, his biggest, um, you know, his, his sort of uh, biggest goal in all of this has been to bring the Republican Party to heal. And so if they are going to, if the party is going to manage to try to cut him loose, try to move on without him, have a nominee who isn't him, he will do anything. And that includes what people have been recently warning. He could form a third party. He could try to run independent, you know, and that will absolutely kneecap Republicans in the general election, too. Absolutely. Because there's there's an there's a type of independent candidate who draws um, both Republicans and both some Republicans and Democrats to them. But Trump is not that candidate. He purely takes from the Republican side of the equation, purely. I mean, he in, with, with maybe some independents, but he's not going to get he's not going to get anyone who might vote for a Democrat. Right. There's been people like Justin Amash, that former, um, you know, Republican House Republican 
who from Michigan, who was sort of exploring in 26 or 2020, a third party bid. And I think the reason he didn't do it is because he did all the polling. He concluded that there was no way for a third party person to run and not take <clears throat> some Democratic votes with him in a way that it set up the Republican to win the win the um, general election. But that's not the case with the Trump, right? Trump isn't going to get any of those swing voters. He's only going to take from the Republican side. So, and, and some people are like, well, he, he won't have the organizational prowess or the, the discipline to get on all 50 ballots and whatever. He doesn't care about winning. I mean, yeah. yeah, he would want to win, but if he couldn't, if he didn't have the time or the organization to get on all 50 ballots through through petition, he doesn't have to do that to kneecap the Republicans. He could get on in a handful of states and he would it doesn't even he, need that write in. Yeah. Everybody knows how to spell Donald Trump. Exactly. You can do or he could be a write in candidate. He doesn't even need to formally be on the ballot. He could get he would could do a write in campaign in in a handful of states and he would ruin. he would absolutely, you know, kill Republican chances. So Republicans are kind of like. What can we say other than they're screwed one way or the other? I mean, you know, he he if he is the top of the ticket in 2024, that is really bad for the Republican Party. And I, I don't you know, I don't relish having to turn back Trump again at all because it's it, it, once again, it's going to be, uh, you know, hold, no holds barred. We got to get everybody to the polls. Yep. We're all worried about it, pulling our hair out, whatever. But. We have a, a good chance of presiding of, of prevailing in that situation, and they have a much better chance of failing in that situation. And that is bad news for them. But it's just as bad a news for them, I think, if the nomination goes to someone else and Trump's just goes on his vendetta his vendetta tour and you know does a write-in campaign or gets on some of those those ballots in some states. That is our show for today. <laughs> Carrie, the last the last like year, two years, we, like we've ended the show asking people to donate to you know campaigns that they care about and to volunteer and to vote early and to be engaged and to get their friends and family to vote. And, and you don't have to do that right now. This is no no this no. Is, no no you do. You have to do it in Georgia. You have to do it in Georgia. Oh, Georgia, Georgia, yep. Georgia. Go but, go to go to dailycoast.com slash GOTV and there are current actions for how you can help out in Georgia right now. Yeah, yeah. Boy sorry. Did, boy did boy did I screw that one up. <laughs> <laughs> we can put that out in the podcast. They the pot the potters don't need to hear that. Yeah. I'm 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 ready. Georgia's happening in two weeks, and then I'm ready for some holidays. I'm ready to sort of relax. I'm ready to bask in the fun, the entertainment that will be the Republican Party. And the shit show that is their their caucus and their internal civil war, and I'm gonna have fun watching Donald Trump go after after DeSantis, and and that those fireworks are gonna be amazing. And so, yeah, Georgia, everybody, Georgia, and then then we can sit back for a little while, understanding that 2024, no matter what, it's gonna be a big year. Uh, we may have some special elections. Probably we'll have some special elections next year. Uh, so there, there's things on the plate that are coming up, but we, we, I think we've earned, people work their butts off. Yes. They earn this victory. So, so much love and appreciation for everything that you guys have done to make that possible, to be engaged in our democracy and to really defy history because Absolutely. 
midterms like this, I think this was the most successful midterm for a sitting president since like 1936. I mean, it was, it's been some, something like that. And yeah, uh, or maybe it was like 19, it was during World War II. Things were happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> things, yeah, right, big right, things right. were happening. So the fact that, that, that we defied history wasn't an accident. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It's because people did not listen to that dominant media narrative and listen to the people who said this was a Republican wave election. And right. we pull through, we, we, we defied all the odds. And so, so much love and respect. And let's just finish the job in Georgia, feeling good about it, but yep. we can't take anything for granted. Never. Yep. And, uh, and just take a moment to really like pat yourself in the back for, for everything that you've done. If you're listening to this podcast or you're watching us live, I guarantee you, you were a part of the solution. Uh, yep. this year. So pat yourself on the back, enjoy your friends and family. Uh, we so appreciate you keeping up with us, um, staying tuned into politics and being engaged and uh, just happy holidays to all of you. So thank you so very much. We'll, we're, uh, we'll get a chance to say happy holidays to next week and the week after. We're not going anywhere just yet, but thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks to everybody that makes this show possible. Carrie, Walter, producer, everybody behind the scenes, Paul, uh, Dorothy. So Did you thanks, Kara. Yeah, Kara. Oh, Kara. You knew I was missing yes, somebody. Kara. 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 Yes. And uh, and thanks to you, the listener, the viewer, and readers. Those of you who visit us at Daily Coast. Thanks for everything you do. So much love and appreciation for everything that we've accomplished because we've moved mountains. We defied history. Thank you so much. Catch you all next week. <laughs>